welcome to smart cherry's thoughts this is sai from india thank you firstly uh, for accepting my invitation and accepting to be on my show not a problem not a problem apologies i've kind of lost my voice over the last few weeks so it's still like really raspy but still uh, you have given me an opportunity to interview you for my channel thank you very much you're welcome you're welcome so i can see you are doing lot of work uh, so i thought to tell about your work to my audience absolutely absolutely any way i can help that'd be good So can you please introduce yourself? Sure. My name is April Edwards. I'm a GitHub senior developer advocate. Um I'm also the DevOps practice lead at GitHub. Um and I've been at GitHub almost 4 months now, actually 4 months exactly today. Um so previously Microsoft and engineering at Microsoft. So from uh, uh you're from Sorry, um I'm from the UK. So I lived in I live in the UK. I work mostly with EMEA based customers. Um some APAC as well, but uh, a little bit of US, but mostly EMEA. Uh you started uh, working in engineering and now you're senior developer advocate. So how is that transformation? It's been interesting. I think as an engineer, you're you're living and breathing like directly with customers, what you're doing, how you're delivering it. and you're utilizing the products to make them better for the customers as an advocate you are that bridge between the product and the community so it's it's very different in that um i don't have as many good engineering stories as much anymore so um i have to rely on the community and customers to give the feedback so i can help make the products better um uh, but it's different because before i was definitely hands on and i could you know i felt the pain of the customer more directly and and still a lot of cases i see as an advocate the pain being um quite the same for them but i think it's just different because i'm not doing it as like a, in a production environment as much anymore so as an engineer how much work you have done oh gosh um so i mean i was in i was in engineering for years at microsoft i was in engineering just for a few years um just because the way microsoft works and everything but um I started in operations and moved into development and i mostly went into um cloud native. I so I started doing a lot in Azure in 2013, really moved into kind of cloud native technologies after that. So and then doing things with CI/CD, DevOps practices, pipelines, um and a lot with infrastructure as coach. So my team was my team was the cloud native team. We were delivering cloud native to customers and helping them unblock. And then I got moved to kind of a more generic engineering team where I got to be a specialist um but then become like more of a T-shaped developers or T-shaped engineer so um deep dive on the cloud native but then going broader into some of the other technologies other language stacks so that was that was really fun but also really challenging at the same time and senior developer advocate so how is this it's pretty good i mean it's different it's certainly different um i get to work with people directly instead of just always customers so i do focus a lot on enterprise customers like who's using our product how are they using it 
um, and the challenges they face and kind of what's new and how they can leverage it to make their life in the cloud better. Um, but I think I do a lot more publicly facing stuff and like I'd write a blog before and people would read it and find it useful. Now I'm giving talks, doing videos um, and actually just creating content for the new products and helping people understand how to use it. So I think it has a wider reach without question, which is really cool. So, for instance, if someone sees my blog, you know, in engineering, maybe a few people would read my blog or they Google search it, Bing search it. Now it's like if I create content, many more people see it. And I think it's great that I can help more people kind of move forward. Can I say the engineering experience that you have uh, is making you to be a good uh, cloud developer advocate? Absolutely. I think that. That's actually how I fell into advocacy. As an engineer, I had some great use cases and real life scenarios. And having been very customer facing focused like that gave me the stories to help me understand the market better. And when I was speaking to the community and relate to them. So I think that that was huge for me in my career. I do miss it, but I think that um, I have a gift in other areas and I've been leveraging that. So I think that's where it's been a little bit different for me. So four four months of experience as a as a developer advocate. Well, uh, several years now, actually. So just four months at GitHub. But then um, I was an advocate for, I'm trying to count now, two years at Microsoft uh, officially. And then before that, I was part of like a V team, a virtual team. So I was still an engineer, but I was doing advocacy things, getting involved in advocacy products. So it's probably been about four years I've done advocacy work. So total technology experience? 24 years. So I started about 24 years ago, um, a much younger version of myself. Um, I started getting into tech in high school in the U.S. I went to a computer arts and science school and I did my A plus certification. Um, I did uh, like um, uh, short kind of internships throughout school. And then when I went to university, I studied to be a doctor. And because Medicine is really expensive in the U.S. I decided to go back to tech. So I started in tech, tried to move away from it, came back around to it. And anytime I've thought about moving away from it, I just stay in because I love the challenge. So you saw uh, you saw the uh, uh, technology, uh, both side of the technology, which is uh, the business side and also the development side. So yes. how is your what is your overview about the technology business in the industry? So I think the biggest thing is when we have tech come out, there's a couple things that happen. One is everyone kind of panics, like this is going to take over the world. Right now, AI is the big thing. And everyone's like, I'm going to lose my job. It's going to take over. Um, I deal with this a lot in the cloud native space as well. Like we're going to go cloud native. We're going to adapt to the cloud and I'm going to be out of job because we're not doing stuff. And we see these trends in tech all the time. So the business thinks we're going to adopt it and we won't need as many people or we're going to change everything. But the reality is we just adapt our skills. So the first thing that happens is as as technologists, we have to learn to be adaptable and keep on learning. And from the business side of it, um, we have to embrace change, but understand what that change means. And I think if you think of like um, anytime you've been an engineer and trying to sell your idea to someone in the organization or at your company and they don't get it, they don't believe, buy into it because they don't understand why it's important. So I think understanding the why moving that forward to the company and and giving them the benefit of it. But then as engineers and developers, we we adapt and understand it's part of our role. It's same thing when like, you know, aging myself, I used to work on physical computers. Then we went to virtualization, then we went to cloud native. You know, now we're talking about AI and development stacks. It's just changing how we work, but the humans are still needed. So I think that's an important thing to recognize from both sides of the fence. 
so you started from high school uh, you started doing internships uh, then you wanted to be uh, a doctor and then you uh, became a technologist so uh, being in technology for 24 years and uh, uh, having this experience how you are able to adapt yourself for anything uh, that is coming for the first time i mean the constant change that is happening in the technology i th- i like to call myself a swiss army knife um i've always been adaptable and i'm always willing to learn and i think that's always been the biggest thing um i love learning which is why i stayed in tech it doesn't get bo- boring it doesn't get dull if it's getting boring and dull then i'm i'm definitely not doing the right thing um so i think for me it just made me really adaptable over time and i think with tech as well what's made me a better technologist if you will is that i have other skill sets than just tech in my in my back pocket so understanding people understanding cultures um and understanding the bigger solution so finding solutions to problems and not just um looking at it just a straight narrow view so it's given me a really good broad idea of how to do things and that's kind of something i've always prided my career on so uh, what kind of problems that you listen from the customers or the clients that you uh, uh, in your present role so a lot of customers are and i'll be honest i mean so i'm going to use github as the primary example um github you know started in 2008 as a source control repository system online system github has now built itself into a platform they've made a huge a lot of investments into it so customers first and foremost don't understand the breadth of the platform what it can do it's just not one single product it's a lot of products now so that's my first challenge is then explaining that message to organizations and enterprises like we're not just source control repository for you know um small projects and open source but enterprise level so that's definitely number one um the second is getting customers to use github to build whatever app they're doing so for instance at github we use github to build github that means that all of our people use github that includes marketing people hr we use github day in and day out in every single thing we do we use issues projects etc to organize ourselves and teaching that to an organization is definitely probably the biggest challenge we're facing but then not just development teams but the operational teams pms etc the whole the whole stack of technical teams we're we're working on teaching its capabilities to so what made github to uh, uh, be a wider uh, using application everywhere in the uh, on the planet i think github started with a vision and i wasn't around for that vision um but when when they were acquired 5 years ago by microsoft microsoft acquired them because github is the largest developer community in the planet and get and microsoft is actually the largest contributor to open source projects i used to know all the stats um and i don't know all the numbers off hand but they are the largest contributor hands down um and they want to get close to that developer community but they want to build out a platform that isn't just a single thing it was an end to end thing and it integrated into the cloud and that's what they've really looked to do so if you think of you know how you start your code how you build it and deliver it it's it can all be done using github now so it's definitely moved on from what it used to be so from smaller organization to to the larger uh, enterprises so what is working github to uh, give the great output for this Absolutely. And I I've worked with customers of all sizes. So I've worked with some really large organizations that are looking to move off of another product into GitHub and I've worked with the startups that have used kind of GitHub from day one and both have extremely valid use cases just different approaches. So from a startup perspective, um GitHub does have GitHub for startups. It's a program for anyone in a startup kind of um opportunity. 
they offer a lot of stuff through there, different pricing and different features, uh, and they help organizations grow and scale, how they innovate and scale. And that's kind of the big thing that they focus in that sector. And then from the enterprise space, um, I've spoken to a lot of customers recently that have moved on to GitHub from another product, whether it's Jira, Azure DevOps, et cetera, or Octopus Deploy, whatever they're using. Um, it's about that transformation change. And they're already pretty scaled out. They're inheriting a lot of technical debt. So how do we remove that technical debt? How do we remove those legacy issues? Kind of start net new, but use that at scale. And it all comes down to really for both startups and enterprises, how how you scale with automation. So um, are you automating your repositories in creation? Are you setting up guardrails? It's very similar use cases, just a very different approach or the it's different. And uh, tell me you as a DevOps lead. Sorry, say that again. Uh, tell me you as a DevOps lead. So as the DevOps lead, I mean, this started when I was at Microsoft. So um, there's a bit of a legacy history here. So Abel Wang, the late and great Abel Wang, um, brought me in to help lead some of the DevOps practices. And it really was just natural for me because having worked in the ops space and development space, I just fell into it completely. And uh, Abel brought me in. I started delivering a lot of the content through him, which was through the product group. So at, on the Microsoft side, uh, we did a huge push into DevOps, especially when, with cloud adoption. But then I was working with the Azure DevOps product team really, really heavily. Um, so it started there. And then I started integrating the GitHub product into Azure DevOps and into all my demos over the last probably three, four years. So it was very much prevalent. And then when I moved to GitHub, um, you know, we have tried to start some practices. It's kind of an unofficial practice at the moment. Um, but when it comes to the topic of DevOps, I tend to lead with the product groups, lead with the content, um, and then be that point of contact for advocates uh, and, and the technical community for DevOps practices. So whether it's agile working practices, how to do it with GitHub, and very often we're integrating other tools into GitHub as well. So what, what do you find uh, today that is shocking that uh, you never experienced or uh, that you never observed in technology before? you know, the experience that you have 24 years? I think what's what's really shocking to me is genuinely when I speak to younger people coming out of university or going into university, how ahead of the game they are. Meaning when I was in school, I didn't have a lot of the advantages that kids, young adults have these days. So learning code at an earlier age, also the programs. And when I've interviewed like interns coming into Microsoft or GitHub, they are they're sharp. They're getting into so many cool internship programs that I never had that opportunity to. And I think that that's hard as an aging technologist. You're like, am I going to be, you know, taken out of a job, not by AI, but these brilliant minds coming in. But we need those brilliant minds. And I think, you know, as you get older, you start thinking, do I go into management? Do I change what my career path is? And your your your, your usability in the in the workforce is still valid. But it is amazing for me to just see how much smarter and how much more tuned and how much more well prepped the incoming generation is. And I think it's it's absolutely inspirational. And we, you know, we have a lot we can learn from them coming in and different perspectives. And what is next after uh, after whatever you learned till now? I don't know. Uh, we always talk about career paths and like, you know, what's your five year plan? What's your three year plan? So being at GitHub and having been at Microsoft, we work on a one year financial um, a one year 
financial year officially. So every financial year, things change. Um, GitHub and Microsoft have different priorities. So I've, I've had to kind of attune myself to like a one year plan, but then also things can change mid year. So I tend to work off like a six month plan and then with a, a very gray one year plan. So I'm a firm believer of like everything happens for a reason. Doors open. I think as um, products come into play, AI comes into play. Um, I'm just going to kind of go with the flow. So I don't I don't really have a plan. Um, so I just tell everyone to kind of watch this space, watch my career, watch my Twitter, watch my LinkedIn, watch my videos and see what's coming on. Uh, you worked on engineering side uh, uh, a large amount of your life. Now mm-hmm. you are into advocacy. So uh, uh, observing when you sit down and relax and when you think about what you have done, uh, being, an, as, uh, being as an engineer, now uh, being as uh, an advocate, uh, the overall uh, understanding technology, the industries, uh, the, the change that happened constantly in the industry and that the, the problem that you have solved uh, uh, in the industry. Today, if you observe, uh, 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 understanding everything, what is going to be in front your uh, uh, future idea? So I think that, you know, I look at a lot of the blogs, and this is actually really pertinent. When we write blogs or do content, how valid is it going to be long for? Like, how long is it going to be valid for? Meaning, if I wrote a blog three years ago, is it going to be valid? I kind of didn't think a lot of my blogs would still be valid, but I still have people coming to me with the same questions now that they did three, four, five years ago. So I think while things are moving forward, I think the reality is a lot of people are not as far ahead as they think they are. Um, and there's so much legacy uh, infrastructure and code that we constantly fight with. I think we'll be leveraging automation and AI to help get rid of those legacy things, those monoliths more and more and more. It's something we keep talking about. Um, you know, I think AI can absolutely be used for good to improve our code and allow the humans to do the human things and be more productive. So I think as a society, as a technology society, we're just going to be more and more productive with what we're able to output and um, and play to our strengths as well. Uh, do you receive the same uh, user experience in parts of the world? Um, I don't. I think every part of the world is very different. Um, so I moved to the UK about 10 and a half years ago, and I saw the tech over here very, very different. But then having been kind of in that inner circle of Microsoft GitHub side, the UK moves at a really, really fast rate compared to some other countries. And I think Europe is doing really, really well on the tech side. Um, and, and it's leading and I think different, but then I go, I go across the world and talk to people in different countries and actually everyone's still facing similar problems, just at different scales. Um, I think we tend to see the latest and greatest and shiny thing, but the reality is we're kind of still in that same plane of existence. But I think the tech differences come down to maybe different types of tech in different regions. So for instance, um, maybe a certain language, Coding language is more popular in one region than another. So I d- definitely see some of those differences at more of the nitty gritty engineering level. But overall, I think globally, it tends to be fairly consistent with the same problems, just maybe the different technology approaches we have. So you have worked in the uh, uh, in, a, in a technology company where humans think uh, very fast or humans think uh, what happens next with the thing that we are doing today, uh, which is Microsoft. And now uh, uh, you are you are you are working on something that uh, that is useful for uh, uh, for for all the people who works in different parts of the world. So how do you uh, 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 understand this thing, the development side that you have worked, 
now uh, you are working on uh, github and which is integrating with cloud uh, which was not there before and which is making human things easier so what is going to be next what is going to be next i think we're still progressing github as a platform without question um i think you'll see a lot more people transition into github that aren't the the traditional developer or programmer you're going to see a lot more of that and you're going to see a lot more features come out to address that to make your life easier to automate things and i think the features are what we're seeing and the capability also the big thing we see is data residency and security um security is huge and i think you know we I'm not a security expert in in the sense that like I don't brand myself as a security expert, but I've had to think about security in every single product I've delivered or thing I've done is how is it secured. And as humans, we make mistakes and security is hard, but we're going to see a lot more enablement through the experience of our developers, but then being more secure from day zero and not day 100. So not making it an afterthought, but making it a forethought. So I think that security side and that capability side and being more feature rich is what we're really focusing on. And talking with different customers who different who belongs to different industries, how is that? So we tend to work in verticals for industries. And I think it's interesting. We we talk about different industries having specific problems while they absolutely do. Um, most of the problems are very much cross industry um, uh, capable, meaning if I have a solution maybe for healthcare or financial industry, it actually could solve a problem for someone else in commerce or another one or very similar. So we do tend to focus on the industry specific stuff. And that's how we're organized, because I think also understanding an, an industry, you have um, specific requirements, le- legal regulations, et cetera. That, that make that life common when you know how to overcome them. But then they do apply to so many other industries. So I've always worked across pretty much every single industry um, that you possibly can. I've worked across all of them, media and telco, uh, financial services, government, um, automotive, uh, commerce, et cetera. I've done so many different industries and a lot of the problems are are really, really similar. And uh, you are the evidence of the evolution of the technology. You saw the uh, the change that is happening in the technology and uh, you are uh, uh, you know what happened in last 20 years or 24 years so uh, what, what is making human to uh, you know improve himself and uh, do something that is not existed before you know i think there's there's a really good stat out there that i think it's like a certain percentages of the jobs in 20 years don't even exist today it's like 50% or 80% it's crazy I think we're just moving at a faster and faster rate and we're accelerating at a faster rate. So if you think about, you know, how long it took from 1950 and I wasn't born yet, 1950, I'm not that old yet um, from 1950 until like 1990, how things transpired. And then 1990 hit and then we accelerated the 2000s hit. We're we're accelerating at a much faster rate. Our half life is getting, you know, shorter and shorter and shorter and how these things are going. So I think. We're just going to speed up. But then I'd also say, on the other hand, like as a human, can our brains compute to that? How do we manage that? How do we put guardrails around that? Um, so I think I think we're just getting faster in our capability. And that's what we'll see is faster rates of change. And I think the biggest advice I tell people is to be adaptable, be agile um, and just make yourself valuable in the industry by keeping your skills up to date and be willing to be agile yourself. And how you are able to match the uh, uh, clients or customers requirements with the technology tools or uh, uh, technology solutions that you have so i think the famous phrase in tech is it depends 
we say it all the time. So when a customer's like, do I go with this solution or that solution or this solution? It's always an it depends. And anytime I talk to a customer, I always tell them to put together a must have and a nice to have list. And it's how I've designed every project I've been on. It's how I've designed every solution diagram or solution project I've done. You know, what are your must haves and what are your nice to haves? And those must haves are going to be your requirements, your limitations, your blockers, et cetera, that might be in your application stack or in your infrastructure. And and then going from there, what the requirements are and then what you want to achieve out of that. And I always tell people, like, it's like a shopping list. Make that list. And the reality is the nice to haves usually get put in the back burner on the back, you know, get backlogged out uh, because it's not viable for for various reasons. But the must haves, whether it's compliance uh, requirements, et cetera, you have to work around the limitations. So I always try to work in that way um, so we can define what our definition of done is going to be, how we're going to execute it. And then we choose the technology stack that's right for that customer. And I think the hardest thing I encounter is a customer goes, I want this technology stack, but I want a 10 year commitment from you that it's not going to change because people don't like change inherently. And it's like, well, we can't make a 10 year commitment on this product because it's going to change. The cloud changes and we all have to be agile, but it's going to be for the better. But at the end of the day, we still need virtual machines. We still need, um, you know, all the things that run the applications effectively, whether it's containerized or um, serverless, what are you running microservices like that? It still runs on a machine. So those inherent basic principles are still there. So can I say you understood everything about technology because, you know, business side and also development side? Um, I don't think I know everything about technology. I think um, I think that leads into like, you know, the great thing about what we do is there's always so much more to learn. But I do think that understanding the business side and the technology side has massively helped me to be a better human, to work with people better. And I think the biggest, most coolest part of my job is working with people across cultures. So being an American by birth, like, you know, I think the the, the original stat was like less than 5% of the American population had passports, right? Like how many people don't get to go other country, don't get to work with other people. And I'm so fortunate I do. And I think that's that's landed to me being successful in my career. And I think there's still so much more to learn about business without question. Um, you know, there's some great books out there I try to read and, and do some growth and development on outside of tech. So I call them soft skills um, just to just to help myself understand people better, because I think the hardest part of any project, any tech stack is the people, you know, people don't like the change or we have to learn and adapt or we just have different personalities on a team and we have different working ways, which is our superpower as a team. But we have to learn how to overcome barriers and blockers together. So as a DevOps lead, you tell me, uh, is it uh, is it going to be uh, uh, all the time or AI is going to uh, replace DevOps? No, I think it's not, because if you think about starting the very, very basic principles of DevOps, um, 80 percent of DevOps is a culture thing. AI can't do that. AI doesn't have that ability. It's not a, a free thinking service. It It is wicked smart um, and it is sometimes very scary, but we need the humans to do the planning and everything else. And there's there's a great meme going around the Internet right now, like, oh, AI is coming into play, but we still have our project managers changing the scope every five minutes, which is true. Um, as humans, we're making that inherent decision about what we're going to do with the tech. AI is not going to replace that. I think AI can make suggestions of what might be the best fit, but it doesn't know enough that we humans know. So it's not going to replace DevOps, but I think it will, it will replace a lot of the automation and help with the automation, but it's not going to help with the, the culture changes in the people at all. And how ChatGPT is helping in GitHub? 
So ChatGPT, um, I've used quite readily. Um, so GitHub Copilot uses one of the ChatGPT models at the moment. Um, we use different models for different types of Copilot. So we have new types of Copilot coming out. So we have Copilot Chat, Copilot Docs, et cetera. We're using different models for that, but we do use ChatGPT 3.5 for Copilot today. So it, the model is currently still limited, still building and still learning. And there's always, you know, someone will try something with Copilot and go, oh, I got a different result than I did last time. Or I've tried it four times, gotten four different results. The models are still building. I think we still have still a long way to go until it's super accurate. But that's why I like to say it's my pair programmer. It helps me learn to do things or fix some code that might have been wrong or do something better. Or sometimes it just gives me a starting place. And I think that's the big piece is sometimes we sit there and we're like, right, we've got a blank slate. Where do we get started? How do we get started? And I've been leveraging that. So, yeah, we're using different models to build it. So as as time goes on, we're going to be changing our models um, as kind of works with how the models um, give us, you know, the right or wrong kind of uh, answers. And uh, how do you define communicating with uh, computers and communicating with human beings? Because you do both. Absolutely. I think people are hard. People are really hard. Um you know, you and I both have very different backgrounds. We're different ages. We just have different life experiences, which I think is awesome. But bringing that together is hard. And computers are easy because it's a black and white answer. It's always, an, you know, a one or a zero black and white answers, which is why I love it. I love math. Same reason, because it's a black and white answer. It's a very straightforward answer. And humans are hard. It can be something as simple as having a conversation about, you know, agreeing how we want to code and even just writing code like you and I could sit down together, pair up together and we just have different ways of doing things. We write our methods differently. We write our unit tests differently because of our experience. And I think it's a great way to learn and to grow from each other. But humans are hard and we're also emotional. Computers don't have emotion. Um, so, you know, if we're having a really bad day, it is very apparent in how we write our code and how we work and how we interact with our colleagues. And actually, one of my very best teams I've ever worked on um we had five or six of us on the team. I'm losing count. Six of us. All of us lived in a different country from where we grew up. So we each had two or three different cultures in our like ways of working. And I remember us just hitting so many head walls. And then we took a step back and worked on our culture experience. And from there, we be it was the best engineering team I ever worked on because we were able to kind of overcome that and work with our strengths and play to our weaknesses as a team. And I've not had that before in any team until that one team. And, and it hasn't been replicated since. But I think humans are just hard and we have bad days. You know, we work from home. Uh, we have family stuff. We have personal stuff. We've got professional stuff. So, you know, I find the human elements the hardest part of our job. So after 20, 24 years, you are uh, seeing uh, the communication system that is happening between the countries, the global community uh, the planet is one today because of the technology and you working in top technology companies and working in it and understanding technology services and products uh, uh, the the day when you started uh, uh, your first job after completion of your internship uh, have you thought that uh, the world is going to be one and humans from different parts of the world are going to uh, 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 be one with, uh, you know, using the technology field that you are going to be, which connects, which interconnects everybody and which makes everybody to uh, look at each other and uh, uh, exchange information with each other in a fraction of seconds. I think 
I don't think my younger version of myself could wrap my head around what was coming. I don't think the version of myself five years ago, I don't think anyone, one of us could have prevented. I mean, you, you have two ways of thinking. You have like, you know, 20 some odd years ago when I was starting out, I just thought I'm fixing stuff and it's straightforward. I'm being challenged. Um, and then I was, you know, learning some, I was literally learning basic programming and visual basic programming. Um, I never thought where I would take it I, at all. Like that didn't comprehend in my, in my brain. And then, you know, as I kept going in my career, I love the way doors were opening up, the way I was meeting people, the way I was interacting. And I just didn't think about the time. And then when COVID hit, I think COVID like spun a whole new element to everyone, not just in tech, right? How we work, how we work from home, work-life balance and work-life integration. So I think I never would have thought I would have lived through a pandemic. That's that definitely number one. But yeah, like so many years ago, I never would have expected to be in this position. I never expected to be living in another country. Like, I I'm happy I've done all of it. Um, I'm really, really fortunate to have good life experiences, but I couldn't have clocked it. And I even like five years ago. So when I started Microsoft, it was over five and a half years ago. Originally, um, I had no idea where my career was going to go. Like I knew I was going to work in the UK and everything was going to be cool. And even that's a new culture for me. Um, but I think it's just, yeah, it's just mind blowing. Like I'm, I'm actually very excited to see where the next 20 years are going to go. And I hope, Really hope I'm around to see it and still be working in tech at that time. So I have a, another question, which is the last question, which is related, mm-hmm. which is connected with uh, the answer that you gave. Uh, so you you talked about uh, what happens after 20 years. Uh, today uh, uh, you are in a place where you was not uh, uh, in the place where uh, 24 years ago. You are seeing the evolution of the technology working in uh, technology for a long time, uh, uh, seeing a lot of things in your life. Now uh, uh, we came to a point or you came to a point where uh, uh, you can able to see something happening in front of your eyes and ears and you, you are observing some things. So uh, uh, now world is connected. So uh, with the, with, uh, do, you, do you think that humans have that ability or capability or capacity to go and create that technology with which we can communicate with other parts of the universe? Oh, that's a good question. I think, you know, I'm also a scuba diver. So I always think about like what's in the deep, deep, dark parts of the ocean, right? Because we know so little about it. Um, I think absolutely. I think I read a lot of sci-fi and every sci-fi or fantasy books about another world or finding a new thing. And I think we absolutely have the technology. I, I almost wonder like when, it, you know, and this is, this is a rabbit hole. When you read a book or see a movie, like, is it to our benefit? Are we behind as a human race behind all the other races. Like it's almost scary, but I think we do, we will absolutely get that technology out there. We'll see more of what's out there. And I think, you know, there could be an argument around like global warming. Will we need a new place to live? Is there another universe we could travel to? I mean, I read way too many books about sci-fi and space travel, but I do hope that like there's something out there that we can learn from hopefully. But then the other part of me fears that they're going to come and destroy us as I read in all my books. Right. So and your observation about uh, space technology companies, mm-hmm. what is your observation? Um, so I think, you know, it's it's an interesting one. I actually have friends that work for NASA in the States and do a lot of research and cool stuff. And I think it's tough because I think funding has really changed. And then we've had a lot of privatized uh, people come out with their own investments and seen some success. So I think it'll be interesting to see, like, how countries handle 
space exploration. So I think I'd like to see more support from each country into how that transpires. And I'd like to see us work together instead of against each other, because there's always a rush, uh, a um, a competition between, you know, the U.S. and and Russia, the U.S. and China or the whomever to be the best at something to get to Mars and do the thing. I would like to see us work together more. That would be really cool. More joint efforts as a human race instead of against each other's countries. So you have a platform uh, today where uh, uh, you have uh, a global reach. What do you want to say? That message that definitely if a top level technologist who, who is a decision maker listening or watching you uh, uh, wants to take an advice which is extremely valuable and which benefits humans as a whole, not a particular part of the world or particular country. Um, I would say as a whole, be nice, be nice to each other, really simple and keep on learning and growing. Um, I think learning, learning about each other, learning about your people, um, taking care of your people is really important. And then when it comes to technology, that will follow. The technology will follow if you're a good human and treat your people well, encourage them to grow, create a safe space for them to learn and to, to discuss. Um, I think that's how you build great teams. That's how you build great technology stacks is by focusing on the culture and the people side. And you're also a con content creator. You create content and you help people. And what is that? Can you share with my audience so that they can learn from you? Sure, absolutely. So I have a blog. It's azapril.dev uh, or azapril.dev, depending on your country. Um, I blog for the GitHub blog, blog.github.com. I sometimes blog on some of the Microsoft blogs on occasion, but I tend to have videos come out on the DevOps lab on YouTube, which is one of the channels I own, and then also the GitHub YouTube channel. And there might be some other content coming out soon. I always tell people, follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter, and I always promote the content I'm creating. So um, that's usually where you'll see it. So at last, what is your observation about my work? About what, sorry? What is your observation about my work? Have you seen any videos of mine on YouTube? I have seen a few of yours. So I've seen some of the people that I've worked with. Um, and actually, that was really cool to see them as well and see their perspective. And I think it's cool because we don't always talk about these things as like um, almost colleagues where we work together. So it's great to see everyone's perspective and come together in kind of one place. So I think you've done a really great job with interviewing people, getting really good personalities and a good like um, different type of technologists in there as well. So I personally did a master's in software engineering, also bachelor's in computer science and engineering. Right now I'm doing a DevOps engineering projects. Apart from that, that is my full-time job. Apart from that, I'm doing this videos and interviewing experts like you who are already in the industry, who solve different problems, uh, belongs to different industries and who are working with different countries. So how this experience, uh, talking with experts like you, how this experience is going to helpful for me in my technology career further? Well, I hope you I mean, I always hope every time I open my mouth well, not every time, but when I do a podcast or something that I someone learns one thing, that's always my goal. Like, I hope I said one thing that was either I don't want to say inspirational, but like uh, set off a light bulb to think, oh, that's a really good idea. And then something they can act on it. So I always hope that hopefully you learn something when we speak and your audience learns something. But I think as someone who's creating content, like I hope that when you create an episode, you find a new way to promote it or a new way to tag it or a new way to do something that benefits you. And I always hope that it helps just genuinely benefits you and gets you more viewers and gets you the audience that you desire. And that's always why I like doing content for other people is is helping them, because I'm very privileged to be on the platform I'm on. 
So um, any way I can help people in the community is always great because we need more people doing really good content. Like you. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you very much for uh, inspiring us and uh, uh, contributing a lot uh, to the technology world also to the non-technical customers who are connected with you and who, uh, who are getting benefit because of your presence in the world. Uh, can, I, can I put this video on my YouTube channel with your permission? Yes, absolutely. And also, can I put this audio and video clip on my podcast, website, internet, social media, everywhere with your permission? Yes, absolutely. Thanks again for your time. Andrew. You're welcome. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Take care. Take care.